Welcome to episode 19 of The Teacher's Promise. I'm your host, Brett Hansen, and I'm happy to help celebrate, inspire, and nurture educators around the world by sharing the amazing stories of extraordinary teachers. This week, we continue our focus on the performing arts with Nikki Lazaretto, or Laz, as her students call her. Nikki runs a fantastic dance program at Deerfield High School, just north of Chicago. She is also our second Golden Apple Award winner on the show this year. You can see how exuberant a teacher and person she is in the show notes by opening the link to her surprise Apple Award, watching her dance POM team win the national championship in 2014, or even better, just listening to her obvious compassion and dedication when talking about dance and kids. Let's get started. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to The Teacher's Promise. Uh, this week, we have a wonderful, extraordinary teacher, uh, a unique teacher, because she's a dance teacher, uh, not the director of a dance team, but an actual dance teacher. And I'm really excited to introduce to you today, Nikki Lazaretto. How you doing, Nikki? I'm great. How are you? I'm, I'm good. Thank you very much for joining us and for sharing your story. Um, the I, I'm just still amazed and happy to have a dance teacher. Um, I just don't know of any dance teachers. I don't remember a dance teacher in my school. I remember there was a dance team. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got into teaching and how you became a dance teacher? Sure. So um, I actually danced my entire life and um, I went to school. I didn't go to school to major in dance or anything. I ended up minoring in dance, but I majored in English and um, minored in secondary education, all the while taking dance classes. Uh, so I graduated and taught middle school language arts and social studies. Then um, at, I, I think I taught for six years only, and I had my first child and ended up staying home with him. And only taught at dance studios. I shouldn't say only. There was a there's a lot to do at the dance studios and I coached dance teams. And um, so then I had my daughter and 10 years later I found myself really, really wanting to get back into the classroom. So um, I became a reading specialist. I went back to school to become a reading specialist. And um, instead of going back into the classroom as an English teacher, they had a position at Deerfield High School where I teach now. This is my 10th year. Uh, as the dance teacher and around our area, um, which is the northern suburbs of Chicago, we there are dance classes. So, you know, just like there's a music class and theater class, um, they have dance, which is uncommon, as you as you had mentioned. Uh, so when I tell people that I'm a dance teacher, they do say, oh, you mean like a dance team? But no, they um, they take it for fine arts credit and they take it for PE credit as well. So um, I thought maybe I would teach dance for a little bit and then get back into the classroom because I loved English. I shouldn't say get back into the classroom, get back into English classroom. Yeah. And I just fell in love with teaching dance because the way that I felt I could connect with students through dance was on a completely different level than how I was able to connect using literature or writing. Yeah. Recently, I had um, some guests on the show, uh, three wonderful uh, women who teach performing arts, and one of them is also an English teacher. And we were talking about how much her student, their students love coming to those classes, and they don't mm -hmm. love coming to my class that much. Oh. And so 
<laughs> I think it might be nice to want to be in the English room, but I bet there's a lot more joy and energy in, in a dance class than there is in a mainstream English class. So you're probably sitting pretty with that. Well, it's I'm lucky because it's an elective, but yeah. I'm unlucky because it's an elective because I have to, you know, it's usually word of mouth is why people end up signing up for my classes. So, um, you know, if I want to keep my uh, dance card full, <laughs> then I, I really have to have people who want to be in my classes. So, and that's what's awesome. Nobody is being forced to take my class for some kind of college credit or whatever. They all want to be there. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, um, so we other, you know, teachers who in, in sort of traditional or mainstream classes, whatever, we have to do that for AP classes and things, at least at my school, you know, whether or not AP lit, AP seminar or AP research occurs, a lot of it depends on whether I can persuade enough students to take the class. Mm -hmm. And I really don't like trying to talk them into it because it's their hard classes, but um, I, I can imagine having to um, advertise and, and promote the program. But uh, I mean, I can imagine a lot of students wanting to take it. Yeah, there's a definitely a whole process in our department in trying to promote our classes. And we're kind of going through this whole thing right now. Like, do we really need to do all these presentations? Because at the end of the day, the students are going to say, take Laz's, they call me Laz, even though my last name is Lazaretto. Um, but they say, take Laz's class. It's fun. We do X, Y, Z. Or take the theater class because, you know, whatever. They have their reasons, but yeah. it's it's a break in their day. And so they want to choose their breaks wisely. Yeah. And then obviously you do a great job, not only because you are, um, as the title of this episode shows, a, a Golden Apple Award winner recognized by the state, by uh, important programs and, um, you know, mentors and teachers and administrators and all that, but you've also been very successful in your dance teams, correct? Yes. Um, before before coming to Deerfield, I coached at Lake Forest High School, which is really only 10 minutes up the road from Deerfield. Um, and I fell into that actually through a dance studio. And they um, they recruited me because I was coaching in my hometown and decided I was done. And they were like, just come over here, try a couple more years. And, um, and I went and we competed nationally and ended up on ESPN a couple of times because we won. Um, so those were some of the most exciting years of my life because I mean, it's not about winning. That was fantastic. But what my team learned about character and what they learned from losses, that was huge for me, even in my life, just watching students learn their, you know, learn lessons like that life lessons really just made me think differently about teaching completely yeah. just from that coaching experience. Did, did you ever see the Netflix ep, uh, show about dance teams in college? Um, no, I saw cheer. I, I, I don't know if that's it. Is it on Netflix? Yes. Cheer is the popular one and Monica is the coach and my team, um, my old team members always text me and they're like, coach Nikki, you remind me of Monica. I think, I think cheer is what I you're watched. thinking about. Yeah. It was intense, man. It was yeah. really, really intense. It's, it's a lot more than people think when you're not in the dance world, you don't understand that it's, you know, not just TikTok dancing. It is, it is incredibly intense. Um, the synchronization part, the athleticism in it that goes 
into it. We, I mean, we did CrossFit, CrossFit workouts to stay in shape for dance because you can't just go out there and dance and not be in good shape. And you can't, you know, a lot of teams run, 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 but that doesn't work for a dance team. You need something more intense than that. Yeah. Well, I, that's impressive. I, I just, I watched that. I didn't watch all of them, but I saw some. And then of course, like most people, I skipped through to the end and it was really, it was really, it was really like, intense. Yeah, they yeah. Won. Did they win? <laughs> they, yeah. They went to the end and they won and it was really close and all this tension and I, mm -hmm. it was, it was amazing. So yeah. hopefully, is there any chance that um, there are still uh, YouTube videos of your dance teams that were on ESPN? Yes, they yeah, are. Cool. They are there. You're, Don't worry, everyone. We're going to get those in the show notes. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know if you'll see Nikki, but you'll see her students dancing away. So hopefully yeah. Nikki will help me get those. If not, I'll have to go into research mode, which isn't okay. that hard nowadays. <laughs> no. Yeah. So um, it's, you know, as far as from English teacher's perspective, it's too bad you didn't get back into the English classroom. But you did tell me earlier that your English teacher was perhaps one of the main reasons why you decided to become a teacher, uh, Mr. Rosberg, because you said he made you feel seen. He did. I, you know, I struggled a lot in school. I, um, knowing what I know now at my age, I definitely had a learning disability, but it really wasn't. Um, talked about as much or recognized as much. Uh, so, so I struggled and he really is the only one who made me actually feel like I could do well, or that I had some kind of worth in the classroom or academically. Um, so he inspired me. He inspired me a lot. The funny thing about that is when I went to college and reached out to him to let him know that I was going to be an English major, he was like, wow, that really um, surprises me because you're not a really good writer. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> you made me feel so important. <laughs> but um, but at the same time, he's he did he, he didn't tell me that then, and so that's fine. So I thought I definitely thought more of myself when I was going into college, and that's really all I needed. Yeah, and the truth is that uh, if you had any kind of learning disability, you probably weren't a good writer because of the learning disability, because writing, even if you have creative talent and some writing talent with a learning disability, writing is very difficult. It It is. And yeah. I feel like I didn't become better at writing until I started teaching writing yeah, and like rethinking me, yeah. how to teach it. And, yeah. um, yeah, you when you I always say to teach is to learn twice <laughs> because like you're learning it a different way in a better way. Um, just like like I said, I'm teaching it in a way that I feel like I can understand. Yeah, I I had a very similar experience when I was in college. Um, I, I was in the military and the SEAL teams before I went to college and. When I came out of the Navy, I thought I could do anything. Not only did I think I could do anything, I think I, I thought I could do everything. And when I was um, maybe in my third, second semester of my third year of college or beginning of the fourth year, I don't remember, I applied for graduate school, even though I really wasn't qualified in art and English. And I got into both, but the English department didn't give me a TA, which would cover the tuition, because mm -hmm. one professor wrote in the notes that I wasn't, I wasn't a good enough writer. And I remember being really mad at him at first and offended and all that, but he was absolutely right. Fortunately, I got one for the art, so I didn't have to pay for the, that year of college, but, but it really was true. I just was not as good of a writer as I thought. And for me, I became a better writer by learning how to teach my students how to write well. And yes. I think it made a big difference. Yes. That's amazing. 
Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about your view of compassion, especially considering that you're an elective teacher of dance and it's so physical and different. How does compassion play a part in your classroom and in your instruction? I think because being in the arts is such a a vulnerable thing to do, especially those who are just dabbling in those kind of classes. Um, honestly, like getting to know the whole student and um, like we do things like SEL wrap ups at the end of the week. So, you know, we just do Rose and Thorn, where it's like, what was a good part of your week? What was a bad part of your week? Or I have a deck of cards that um, ask random questions about things just to get to know each other and build a culture so that there can be trust. Um, so we're not talking about dance. We're not talking about their math class or any, sometimes that's a thorn, but like <laughs> that we're not really deeply talking about um, like academics. We're just like, Hey, how are you? How is your day? What's going on in your life? And it's interesting how the later we get into the school year, the more intimate these answers become and we you know it's like what happens in this classroom stays in this classroom but also your teenagers so be careful yeah. <laughs> what you say um yeah. but like honestly like how do you build compassion unless you have a a venue to talk about it or to practice compassion with each other or the biggest thing for me this year and last year has been to listen, learn how to listen. Don't talk when somebody is saying with their roses and say, oh, me too. Don't make it about you. Fully listen, do not talk, respond later. Um, and to me, that's a part of compassion too, because I, I don't know if you've noticed, but I feel like people are becoming worse and worse at actually hearing each other and actually listening. And instead they're thinking about the next thing they're going to say about themselves or how to connect it to themselves. And and I mean, like, how do we know how people feel or how do we have compassion for people if they can't just even close their mouths for a second and hear what somebody's saying? I completely agree, but I'm afraid to open my mouth now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were a great I'm listener. I just, I'm certain I just did what you said we shouldn't do a few minutes ago. <laughs> it's it, oh, So you're absolutely right. And now I'm nervous to say anything. So audience listeners, if this conversation is a little bit stilted later, it's my fault. I'm afraid to be. No, I'm kidding. But you're absolutely right. Um, especially when, if we can remember that we are there to serve them and it's not about the content as much as it is about the human beings and the relationships. I completely agree about listening more. I try and try and try. And I think I've gotten better, but um, there's still some people that I don't listen to enough. So I, it's good advice. And it, it, I'm going to, Try to learn from that as well too so your students are fortunate and lucky to to have a teacher like you who does that well but i'm supposed to wait for the praise until the end of the show so oh. <laughs> yeah so what advice would you give then to say new teachers whether they're in the performing arts or these types of elective classes or not what advice would you like to give regarding uh relating to the whole person and um cultivating compassion um I would say, oh, can you hear me okay? Yep. Sorry. Okay. No, <laughs> um, no I would say the advice that I would give is really don't take things so personally. When you're in your 20s and you begin your teaching, it's like if the kids don't listen to you or if they say something snarky, it feels 
so much like it's about you and they're disrespecting you. Um, but it's not. There's always something else going on. And um, you just have to kind of accept that as a challenge to um, figure the person out, figure out what makes them tick, figure out how to talk to them, be patient, be quiet sometimes. And it's hard. Even like I said, at, at my age, sometimes I really have something to say back to them or, or I do. And there are days where I feel completely disrespected. Um, like I have a class who they don't stop talking. They don't, don't, don't stop talking. And no matter what I say, but I know that it's not about me. I know they just enjoy talking to each other. And, and it's the, I have to remember it's the moment in the day that they get to do that. So, um, I guess just find the, find the good and some things that you think are about you find the challenge find um find your little in instead of going home and being upset about it yeah i agree that's uh um sometimes hard harder to do than talk about but it sounds like you've done a great job do you think that's part of the reason why you were nominated for a golden apple award what what, if not what do you i mean i'm sorry to put you on the spot with this but what what is it about your method of teaching or about you that that um, has led to so much success? You know, I am not sure why I was nominated. I found out later that it was my department chair at the time who nominated me. And um, she said to me, you just do great work. You're doing incredible things in your classroom. And in my mind, I thought that it was really just about the dance. I was really caught up in, oh, well, I make sure that we do, all genres of dance and I make sure we put in popular dance. We, I even teach them single ladies, which I don't know why they still want to learn after all of these years. But, um, but I, I thought it was really connected to dance. And, and as I started writing the essay questions for Golden Apple and as I was being interviewed and um, when I heard the questions they asked of my students and my peers and my principal, um, it's, it wasn't about any of that. <laughs> it wasn't about any of the steps or how I teach dance. It's the culture in the community um, that I built. And honestly, I that was huge for me to like really go back. And I think I read a newspaper article that talked about that's who they were looking for are people who, um, you know, cultivate positive experiences and compassion in the classroom and um, have a place for students to belong. And it really touched me because I didn't even think about it. You know, and I think that that's what's great. Like the question before, if you just let go of some of that stuff and figure out how to build a community or figure out how to talk to a certain person, uh, that's what matters. That's what they're going to remember. And I had a, I know that I had a student tell me that one of her answers was, she said, you know what, I'm going to walk out of this high school and I'm not going to know, I'm not going to remember anything anybody taught me, but I'm going to remember everything that Laz taught me and it has nothing to do with dance. And I, it like chokes me up now to even say that out loud because I don't even realize I'm doing it, but now I know how important it is. So there's a lot more pressure on me for that in a sense, but I don't know. It's just... I guess human nature, just teaching people how to be human again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we talk about it all the time about how important relationships are. And especially in this, you know, age of um, 
testing, standardized tests, um, you know, trying to fulfill all these engineering type jobs. And I know all this is important, but um, unless kids are already really interested in that or somebody else is driving them, it just, it just doesn't stick. What sticks is the compassion, the, the culture, the, the caring. And so mm-hmm. it seems perfect that that's the reason why you were uh, nominated. So, so with that in mind, um, what advice would you give to new teachers? Um, I think that it's important to know this, that everyone has a story, whether they tell you the story or not. And, you know, my best friend's mother actually taught me that she was a, a music teacher at a Catholic school. Um, she, she was like a mother to me. She's since passed. Um, but I remember that so much because I remember um, sitting up and casting the Nutcracker one year. And we said, well, this person should really have this part because, you know, her, her dad died and she should have this part, you know. And she turned to me, Mrs. Deprima is her name. And she turned to me and she's like, everyone has a story, though. And just because they don't say it to you doesn't mean they don't have a story. Yes, we know this girl's story, but what is going on with everybody else? And because she was like a mother figure to me, she reminded me, she's like, you walk around with a smile on your face all the time. And nobody knew what you were going through. And, you know, I had a a tricky, difficult home life and um, childhood. And and I did walk around with a smile all the time. And and you don't know. So I think it's just the advice is really just like think of everybody as an individual. Everybody has some kind of struggle right now in the dance community. um, Twitch dying. Um, do you know who Twitch is? The hip hop yeah. dancer. Yes. Yeah, so I think I remember a long time ago seeing him on the on some of those dance shows on TV. Yes. Yeah, so he yeah. started out on So You Think You Could Dance. Yeah, that's right. That's where I saw him. Yes. And so in the dance community, he was a big, big deal. And and reading all the things now about that reminds me of what Mrs. Dupremo used to say to me because he's that person walking around with a smile on his face and being kind to everyone, but there was something else going on that we didn't know about. So I guess I'm kind of moving into a mental health <laughs> talk here, but but like if you don't think about that as a new teacher or not even a new teacher, just as being a responsible adult in the life of children while their parents are absent, you know what I mean? For those eight hours of day that you're, the, their parents are trusting you with them. Um, you know, I don't know. You you have to make that kind of connection. You have to have that understanding. It's more than standardized tests. It's more than you didn't turn that assignment in. Why didn't you turn that assignment in? What's happening? What's happening with you? How can I help you? Um, so having some responsibility, they still have to have responsibility, but also continuing that compassion that goes deeper than what you think you can understand because of what you see with your naked eye. Yeah. One thing we talk about at at, uh, my school is that we don't necessarily all need to be that teacher for all students, but we need Mm -hmm. to make sure that all students have that teacher. Yes. Somebody's doing it. Somebody's there for them. And there are lots of different types of students and they're not all going to like your way or my way or someone else's way. But it is really important that, um, that every student has that teacher, at least one. And I think also that we as educators all let them know that they are cared for, that, you know, compassion is essential. So I feel like, isn't that, 
Isn't that why most teachers go into teaching, though? Because it's not for the money or because you just love the content that much. There's got to be a piece of you that feels like you want to be there for someone um, or that you want to be, like I say, you, you know, be the person you needed at that age. Yeah. So when, you know, I think about that, even with parenting my kids, if my daughter comes to me, she's 17 and has a problem, instead of me freaking out on her, I'm like, okay. So I'm 17. Who did I need right now? What did I need somebody to say to me? And I carry that through all the time with my students. Like, what? Okay, what do they need? Because you can't go in thinking you're going to be everybody's favorite and you're going to connect with everyone, like you said. But like you can, like I said, if you think about it in a more global way, just be more compassionate and be uh, be more connected. Those people will gravitate towards you. The ones who need you will come to you but yeah. you can't always choose. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, who, who was, um, other than Mr. Rosberg, who kind of inspired you to become a teacher, who, who was that person for you? Who was your mentor? Um, when you went through the process through high school and college, who was the, your mentor that you'd like to mention and, and, uh, allow us to give a little respect to? Um, I had, I actually had a dance teacher. His name was Russell Soltzbach and he was, he used to dance for American Ballet Theater and he would come. So I went to college in Florida, uh, Rollins College where Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers went to college, by the way. Um, (laughs) He's a great guy. He is. He was a great guy. (laughs) So, um, but anyway, I, um, he would come and he had his shorts on and his polo shirt. But um, he, again, was just somebody who made me feel seen, but it wasn't just about me. I think about the different levels of talent that were in my dance classes and um, people trying it for the first time. And at that time, we were always trying to recruit uh, like men into the dance world. Um, and he treated everybody equally. It didn't matter. I think that's what I noticed most about him. It didn't matter what your talent level was. Everybody was special. Everybody was teachable. Everybody was worth his time. And um, I don't know if he, I actually don't know if he knows that I think that about him. And and it makes me sad that I never really had an opportunity to, to tell him that. But he well, is... Let's let's fix that. Do you do you, is he still alive? Yes. Okay, well let's just make sure he knows about this and at minimum we'll send him a link. If you know where he is or have his email, great. Otherwise we can work together and try to find out where Mr. Sultzbach is so that he knows how important he is in your life. I think we should do that. Let's do that. I, okay. Cool. <laughs> well, um, yeah, it sounds he sounds like a great teacher and making everybody feel uh welcome and a part of things, especially you know, a long time ago is, um, is important. That's good. So is there anything else that you'd like to share with people about dance and this time of standardized testing or anything else you'd like to tell people about your program, your school or yourself? Um, you know, I actually am grateful that there is dance in school now. It's a little bit more popular around my area. I wish it would you know, spread through to other states a little bit more because it is just the arts period is a great break in the day. But I think that what's most important to know is that dance isn't what you just see on TV and that's not what's going on 
in the dance studio at your school if you have one, or if you're thinking about bringing a dance program in. Dance is, for me, it's only a vessel to teach people how to be better at communication, how to use their creativity, and how to work with people who maybe they otherwise wouldn't be able to work with and get along with. So a lot more happens in the class than just a little bit of ballet and a little bit of hip hop. Um, communities are being built and uh, long lasting friendships are being created because of the culture that we're able to create in the arts. Yeah, that's very similar to the um, conclusions that the performing arts group that I recently um, talked with said that the performing arts are very, very important. And I'm very happy that your community has this program and you leading it. So thank you. You know, we're here at the end of the episode. And once again, my favorite part when I get to thank the educator, and this one's going to be uh, difficult because I don't know what to leave out. Uh, we certainly want to thank Mr. Rosberg uh, for being such a wonderful English teacher and making you feel seen. And hopefully you and I and all the other educators can remember that and learn from it. And we want to thank Mr. Russell Soltzbach for being um, a welcoming ballet professor and making everyone uh, feel like there's a place for them in dance, men and women. We want to thank Deerfield High School for being smart enough to choose you over the other candidates and um, moving you over into the, the dance program because obviously you're doing great things there. Special thanks to the Apple Award program for recognizing you so that uh, we found out about you. And thanks to them for recognizing dance. Um, it's, it's really important that more people know about it. And it doesn't matter um, what you're teaching. If you're someone like you, you just care and it, and it comes forth. And most importantly, we want to thank you, Nikki, for choosing public education, for choosing to love other people's children, for recognizing that all kids are our kids, and for teaching them that vulnerability is absolutely necessary. And that's why we have to accept the whole student and for cultivating trust in the classroom. Um, it is important that we all learn how to listen. I've certainly learned that from this episode and I will strive to be a little bit quieter, <laughs> which may not happen too often, <laughs> but thank you for listening to all these children's stories and thank you for letting them feel here heard. And I'm just glad that they all have lives because that's, um, what they need. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Brett, for having me. My pleasure. What a wonderful teacher and a wonderful program. It's an honor to share these specific stories of educational excellence in Illinois. So in the second week of February, I'll share our third Golden Apple Award winner featured on the show, Eliza Miller, the internet math teacher. But for next week, it's the teacher's report. If you missed the November Teacher's Report on Rural Homelessness, check out episode 13. It's a difficult topic, but important. And this month, I'll report on the growing inflationary gap that's driving so many potential teachers out of the noblest profession. I won't blame anyone. I won't mention politics. I'll just share the facts and some reflections. Please go to the Teacher's Promise Facebook group to complete the quick survey so I can add your data to the Teacher's Report. If you tweet, breathe some life into my new and anemic Twitter account, at Hanson Education. And finally, pass the word about the teacher's promise any way you can. Thank you. Most importantly, remember that you are part of the noblest profession, that all children are our children and deserve our intelligent compassion, 
and that you must take care of yourself in order to take care of others. So please, don't sacrifice everything. You need to be happy too. See you next week.